Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Right, it's episode six, Pain Points of Wealth, the news in plain sight. You've seen the headlines. We give you the real story. And guys, I swear I saw a headline this last week that said Robinhood, the trading platform, along with zero commission trading fees, is offering free cocktails when you open an options account. Okay, maybe not. Maybe I'm just kidding. But it is starting to look more and more like Americans sitting home, not having a lot of gambling on sports to do like they could in the past, have now picked the stock market to become this like new huge casino where big bets are being made every single day. Well, when you make a big bet on the market by buying a call option... It is a casino, you know, because just like at the casino, you put money on the table and if it doesn't hit your number, your color, you lose it all, like either double or you lose. Well, with call options, you're making a bet on a stock moving up. And of course, these are all speculators. So they're buying call options that last a week or two. Surprise, surprise, they're losing all their money. Well, coupled with the fact that they're giving zero commission trade, which is basically making people less hesitant to trade and combined with the fact that alcohol sales are up like 14% since the beginning of COVID, I think you've got a lot of people making some questionable decisions, we might say. So I guess our advice would be don't drink and trade. I thought Robin Hood was about taking the money from the rich and giving it to the poor. It sounds like this Robin Hood company is taking money from the poor and giving it to themselves. So they become rich. Yeah, that sounds a little backwards, in my opinion. But but it is getting crazy. I mean, if you look at options contracts, which basically, to your point, Bob, it's like an all or none bet. It's kind of like going to the casino and betting on red. <laughs> you know, either the stock goes up or it doesn't go up, or you can do a puts contract where the stock either goes down or doesn't go down. And we're seeing like 92% increase in options trades this year. So clearly people are sitting at home making big wagers on stocks like Tesla, Apple, and you know, you get to a point now where it's just like the volatility has just been tremendous the last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, rather trend followers. You know, Tesla goes up five days in a row. All of a sudden, they have a trend until it drops 40%. So it's not investing, it's speculation. I think the only good thing about it is maybe they'll start to understand investing and well, put some serious money by buying individual stocks or buying index funds to get invested for the long haul because that's where the real money's made. You know, I find options trading to be very challenging, and I can't even imagine the average investor trying to trade options on their own. Hey, Chris, just like betting on the Eagles on Sunday. No different. <laughs> <laughs> and then the same drinking's happening, apparently. So anyway, but the other thing, guys, is what I've been hearing a lot in the news lately is with the tech bubble. We talk about the tech bubble almost every week because it is kind of prime time when you're talking about the news right now in the financial markets is this time it's different. You know, this isn't like the bubble of the late 90s where we had this big proliferation of cheap online trading sites and you had doctors and lawyers quitting their day jobs to become day traders. And you had this belief that there was this new paradigm or this new economy. You know, the more I'm talking, it sounds like today. So, am I missing something? This does sound a lot like 1999, 2000. Hey, Rye, speculation is as old as the hills. I mean, when you look at a portfolio, you look at money, it's like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the smaller it becomes. No different than trying to get rich quick, you know, with the options market or the stock market. There is no free lunch on Wall Street when it comes to trading and speculating. Yeah, but it seems like this whole thing's been kind of supercharged with the fact that there's a lot of money out there, a lot of cheap money being pumped into the economy, not to mention the government pumping trillions of dollars out there as well. 
Well, that's good news, Chris. Interest rates are down almost all-time record lows, lowest mortgage rates I've ever seen in history. There are a trillion new mortgages issued in April, right? That's versus two trillion all of 2019. So you have people refinancing. I mean, I have clients refinancing every day to rates I've never seen in my lifetime. And so they have less debt. Debt service is lower. They're spending less money because there's nowhere to go. Everybody's locked down. So there's a lot of money that's going to find its way into the stock market. Be an investor, not a speculator. Well, Bob, I think what the real problem here is basically is we have this quote unquote new paradigm shift where everyone believes these work from home stocks or the end-all be-all. And I got to tell you, as the economy reopens, I promise you I'm going to spend less time inside. I'm not going to be sitting in my office here, my home office on my Peloton while I'm doing a Zoom call <laughs> you know, and not leave my house all day. And it seems like that's how these stocks are getting priced right now. If you look at those quote-unquote work-from-home stocks, they trade for 30 times sales. That's three decades worth of sales already priced into these stocks. Like That's insane if you think about it. Well, you can't go to a cocktail party. Well, nobody goes to a cocktail party. You go to a virtual Zoom cocktail party or you get together with your family. Everybody knows about Zoom. Everybody knows about Amazon. When everybody knows about a company and how great it's doing, it's already been priced in the market. What I want to know is what's not priced into the market. Where should be investing your money now? Not where should be investing your money a year ago. Right. And I think the problem is you're thinking, man, I don't want to get out of this tech trade because if it keeps going up, I'm going to miss all that action. Now, I would say keep some money in large cap growth stocks, keep some money in large cap tech. But the reality of it is if we go back to 99, 2000, you were way better off getting out early than getting out too late. If you look at the NASDAQ back in 99, 2000, well, when the tech bubble finally burst, you lost five years worth of return. And then it took you 15 years to make it up again. <laughs> you know, that's a huge consequence of concentrating your money in one place. Yeah. But the thing is, when that bubble burst, if you had a diversified portfolio, which I think, right, you're still recommending diversified portfolios, aren't you? I mean, unfortunately, sadly, yes. I know it's not sexy, Bob, but still going old school. Well, if you had a diversified portfolio when the bubble burst back in 2000, it only burst in stocks that were overvalued. Meanwhile, you're collecting dividends. You had other companies appreciating emerging markets, value stocks were doing fantastic. You had a 6 to 7% net rate of return over that period. So, you know, it's like anything else. If you're going to bet big on something, you either win big or you lose big, that's not investing. That's gambling. And I think if I remember correctly, Dad, I think back in those days, the international markets were doing pretty well. And I think you were actually taking profits out of international and buying back into things that were down at that point in time, like tech. Yeah, Chris, it's that old strategy that seems to work all the time. Sell high and buy low. I don't know why it's more complicated than that. Well, because it's different this time. That's exactly right. And that's what they're thinking, right? It's different this time. Oh, we're on to something new. We're on to Ryan's a new paradigm. You know, speculation's as old as the hills, guys. There is nothing new. You know, here's a great thing. And this was a really good point. Technology's improved dramatically in our lifetime. You know what hasn't changed? Human behavior. We're the same people today as we were in the Roman times. So, you know, all the same mistakes that were made in the 90s are being made again today. Thank God there's companies like us that clean up the mess and get people back on the path, you know, to financial independence. Well, Bob, it's funny you said that because I think I saw Chris wearing a Roman toga the other day, but I digress. You know, guys, what I think it comes down to when you have to ask yourself is, is mean reversion still a thing? You know, Are those lofty tech valuations eventually going to come back to earth? And the question you have to ask yourself is, do you believe we're going to beat this virus? You know, Is the economy going to reopen again? If it does, all those stocks that are benefiting from lockdown... Are they going to be great long-term buys as the economy picks up and grows faster and we go out and drive more, we fly more, we go back to our normal routines? You know, What stocks are going to benefit from that? Or is this new normal going to last forever? 
Well, you know what, Ryan? Like, I think that green reversions only happened for like the last 200 years. So I don't think it's going to be any different this time. And people believe in what's called the hot hand fallacy. Things that are happening now will continue to happen in the future. But the reality is, to your point, things always revert to the mean. Things are always going to be cyclical. Hey, guys, let's face it. The world doesn't end very often. You know, as it says on that plaque on my desk, you know, let's look what's happening right now, right? It's the fall. The weather's changed. It's cooler at night. Kids are returning back to school. Rye, your buddy, the trader JP Morgan, they just called back. All their employees are trickling back into the offices in Manhattan. We're going to beat COVID. We're going to come up with a vaccine. There's going to be something that's going to put a lot of people back to work in a hurry. The economy's recovering right across the board. You know what? It's never different, right? The four most dangerous words in investing is different this time. It's not different. The economy is going to be booming. We're going to have the greatest economy in the history of the planet, just like we were a couple of months ago. You don't want to be on the sidelines. You want to be fully invested in the greatest economy in the history of the planet. All right. It's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And guys, you know, when it comes to pain points, when it comes to investing your money, financial planning, you know, one that I have a real bone to pick with is investment hearsay. People love to give blanketed advice, even if they have, you know, no credentials, <laughs> you know, have no professional background, but they feel like it's okay to give unsolicited investment and financial planning advice. And it gets taken like it's actual gospel. And I think it's a really dangerous thing. You get this from, you know, when you go to cocktail parties or maybe you have that relative relative is very confident in how they invest their money. And a lot of times it's just completely wrong, but it gets assumed like, oh yeah, that obviously is correct advice and you should follow that. Didn't Joe Kennedy get out of the market in 1929 based on a shoe shine tip? You know, the guy that shoe, the guy was shining his shoes, gave him a tip and he decided to, as a contrary investor, to get out. So maybe this advice isn't so bad if you do the opposite of what people tell you. <laughs> that can work sometimes, we've learned in the past. Well, I'll tell you what, I think that whenever I hear the conventional thinking, right? The conventional thinking is something we hear. We have 2,000 households. So we hear what everybody's thinking. And guess what? We all read the same things at the same time. We all come to the same conclusion at the same time. You know, there is no unique thought. We think it is, but we know because we talk to people all the time, we all come to the same conclusion at the same time, which means it's already priced in the market. Exactly, Dad. And you know, all the people that I've been talking to over the last month are telling me that the market's going to zero if so and so gets elected. And I like to call that false conviction just because they say it with such a level of confidence that you almost believe it yourself, but then you come back to earth and say, Okay, well, that's never really happened in history. Let's look at the reality. Let's look at what's really going on here. And that's the beauty of it. They think that's a unique thought, right? I had lunch the other day with two guys I used to work with at Merrill Lynch, and they said they had four or five clients put their all their money on the sidelines to outweigh the election because what could go wrong? If the guy that I'm not for gets in, the market goes down, I buy less. And if the other guy I like is in, it goes up big. I'm not going to miss out on much. If everybody believes that, it's going to be terrible. Well, the unfounded belief here is you think that if, okay, X happens, Y is definitely going to happen. But as we know with the markets, even if you believe what's going to happen happens, the market's not necessarily going to react the way that you think it is. And the perfect example, guys, would be the beginning of this year. If I told you on January 1 that we were going to have this pandemic this year, and basically the whole global economy was going to be shut down, you know, where would you put your money? I'm going to bet you would say cash. <laughs> and that would have been the wrong answer. The market's actually up this year. So even if you knew we were going to go through such a cataclysmic decline, you would have been better off not knowing because you would have made the wrong investment decision. And that's the same thing with elections. 
you know, whatever we think is going to happen if Trump's not in or Biden's in or Biden doesn't get in is not probably going to happen the way we think it is. And that's why it's not even worth knowing. Well, that's the thing. Everybody wants that clarity, right? That 2020 perspective, you know, with hindsight, we're all geniuses. Have there been any other presidential elections in our lifetime where it was very uncertain on who was going to win and the market was volatile beforehand? I'd have to say probably every single one of them. <laughs> yeah. And right. The day after the election, what typically happens to the economy and the stock market? It keeps chugging along like it did the day before and everyone's emotion and all that ire that you see on Facebook just like disappears. <laughs> it's almost like complete reality distortion field. Like we totally forget about it. And I think the bigger point here and the more important point when it comes to investing in markets is clarity. No matter who gets into office in November, the market loves the fact that there's now clarity and that clarity can just push the markets up much higher. So right now you have the better advantage because you don't have clarity and the market prices that in. That there's no clarity means you're getting a discount. That's an opportunity, not a negative. Well, you know, the funny thing about hearsay is before you got it from your friends on the golf course or your relatives at a holiday party, you know, you got it from a tip from one of your colleagues. But now kids are stuck at home because they're homeschooling on Zoom. Now we talk to our clients, our kids are telling us, oh, by the way, my son or my daughter wants to make sure that we own Zoom or we own Tesla. If five-year-olds are giving you advice, it's priced in the market. Well, Todd, you know, I get my greatest stock tips from Luis's eight-year-old nephew, Jonathan. He tells me everything I should buy. And that's how I base our entire investment strategy. Well, Chris, there is a reason you've been suspended from the investment committee, but Brian, I wanted to talk to you about that after the show. <laughs> well, hopefully after today, I'll get back on. All right. And it's not just about stock speculation, right? When you make decisions on essentially how you set up your financial plan as well, like, well, I heard I need to take Social Security early because obviously Social Security is going to go bankrupt. I personally think it'd be financial suicide for any politician to ever turn off the spigot when it comes to Social Security. And as you guys know, when it comes to Social Security, there's no right way to take it, right? I mean, when it comes to planning, it's really all about you and your unique situation. So again, when you hear something blanketed like, oh, it's definitely going bankrupt, I need to take it early, you know, that can have huge negative consequences on your financial plan because that might be the wrong way for you to take it. Well, right. That's why I hear that millennials really don't like uh, my friends, the boomers, because we're sucking all the money out of Social Security. And we know that we're a big political block. We're not going to allow the politicians to change it. Now, if they change it for the millennials, we don't really care. you know. So that's not kind of like something that we're going to worry about. But when it comes to taking Social Security, it's not just being fearful that it's going to run out of money. It costs you a lot of money if you don't choose properly. Yeah, Dad. I mean, there's so many different ways to take Social Security. And another thing that people talk about is like, oh, by the time I'm 65, I need to have X amount of dollars in order to retire. And it's usually a number like a million dollars. And my thought is like, okay, where did that number come from? You know, is that based on your lifestyle? Is it based on what you spend? Is it based on what your needs are? So people really don't have any idea. They just get these ideas in their head that they need a certain amount of money at a certain period of the time because of something they heard from somebody else. But the truth of the matter is, it's really more about what you're spending habits are and what your lifestyle is. Yeah, Chris, it's about customization, right? That's the thing. You know, the irony is we talk about all these blanketed statements when it comes, you should do it this way or that way. But when it comes to financial planning, you guys know better than anybody. It's really about what's best for you. And what's best for you, I would say nine out of 10 times isn't exactly right for your cousin or your brother, or your uncle, or whoever else is in your social circle. Everybody has different needs and everybody needs a different type of plan. Yeah, it really is. It's about a lot of different things. It's about considering what 
passive income streams you have. In addition to Social Security, do you have a pension? A lot of people don't have pensions today. You know, a lot of baby boomers do. A lot of millennials and X generations don't. Also, it's what are you doing with that million dollars or $2 million? If you're sitting in a money market fund at one basis point right now, net of inflation, you got a negative return asset class. So it really is about customization and you got to be very careful with this hearsay. You have to be very careful with the advice you're getting from people who don't understand your situation. Yeah. And I think going full circle here, guys, it's a big red flag. If you're saying that I'm going to take my money out because of the election per se, that says to me right off the bat, you don't have a retirement plan. <laughs> you know, If you're predicated on the income that you need, because if you take your money out of the market and it's part of your income plan, well, now you're sitting in cash earning less than 1%. That makes no sense at all. And that's truly a red flag. That's truly a problem. That means that you're not getting the right advice or you haven't done the appropriate planning. Well, you know what drives me crazy about this whole segment, guys, with investment hearsay? And I've been doing this for 45 years. So I have seen over time, a lot of you out there will not maximize out your 401k contribution. But because somebody told you about Bitcoin at a cocktail party or about some pharmaceutical stock that may have the magic bullet with COVID, you'll put a ton of money into a speculation without any thought or process whatsoever. And usually those things fail miserably. So it's incredible how we're swayed by a hot idea. I mean, I guess we all have that gambler in instinct. And I think process is the only way for us to fight against that. Yeah, absolutely, Dad. And just another note on the 401k, people will say, oh, well, I'm only going to put into the 401k what my company matches. Well, that has absolutely nothing to do with your personal financial goals. So if your company matches 3% and you only do 3%, but you fall short in retirement by 15 years, that's a big problem. Yeah, but Chris, what I really want to know is which drug stock is going to have the vaccine that I can gamble on today. (laughs) Well, Ryan has a crystal ball, so maybe you should ask him. You have to wait till the next episode to get that information. Well, there's only 100 companies working on one, so let's go get a dartboard and throw a dart, and then we'll tell everybody next week which one we found. Sounds like a winning strategy, Dad. If you're thinking to yourself right now, I could use some more help with my investments. I have no idea what to do in light of the election. Well, Bob, Chris, and I have spent a collective 70 years involved in financial planning and investing. Everything we teach you here on this podcast can be mixed with some of your own due diligence to get ahead at any stage of your financial journey. But if you have over 500000 and want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan, or click the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right track to achieving your financial independence. So simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. It's the hidden facts of finance random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, guys, retail blues. 24 retailers have filed for bankruptcy from the start of the year through July 16th. That's more than the 20 retailers that filed during all of 2019. Retailers will likely decide to close as many as 25,000 stores in 2020, more than double the 9,832 stores that closed all of last year. Yeah, this is one of the sad stories of what's happening with COVID is that certain industries, especially retail, are being impacted from COVID, but they're also suffering a lot from online retailing. And the way capitalism works, the way business works is you find a need and you fill it. So a lot of these retailers are going to go, but there'll be someone there to fill the gap because last I checked, you never discount the American consumer. They spend and then they spend some more and then they spend more than you ever thought they could spend. Like the sun 
sun rising in the east. All right, Chris, Zoom stock, having zoomed 465% in 2020, is now worth more than $100 billion. Peloton has a market cap of $25 billion after gaining 209% this year as its stationary bikes replace gym memberships. Netflix stock is up from $1 to a close of $500, adjusted for splits since its debut less than two decades ago. Chris, why didn't you tell me to buy these stocks before they went up? Well, right. You know what? I got my crystal ball smashed when I got my license to do this job. But, you know, I remember back in like 1985 when dad had an IBM computer and he used to run like a 50 foot phone line from the kitchen into his office so that he could check his charts. And now Zoom has a larger market capitalization than IBM, which is pretty extraordinary. So I think at some point in the near future, people are going to be able to trade stocks, do their Zoom and watch Netflix all while riding their Peloton. You know, that's the dream, Chris. And I think dad's still using that old IBM. I suspect he's still on a dial up as well. Speaking of gambling, like in these stocks, the biggest game is football, which accounts for the lion's share of legal online wagering, Bob. Well, I did see that the viewership for the NFL was down last weekend, but I think after this next call expiration where all these Robinhood accounts lose all their money speculating on call options, I think gambling and football is going to be on the uptick. I feel coming back. Americans love to gamble as well. U.S. gamers play two or three games a month on average, amounting to roughly 45 hours. By contrast, Americans still watch an average of 150 hours a month of film and television. Well, you know what, Ryan, with the advent of Netflix and the ability to now binge watch things, that statistic's not really that surprising. Sounds like we know what you're doing with your spare time, Chris. Tiger King all the way. (laughs) Tiger King all the way. That's right. From deep in the pandemic. Great one to watch. So Bob, just 3.7% of advisors with the popular certified financial planner credential are Black or Hispanic. Yet these groups make up 31.1% of the US population. And it's estimated that fewer than 20% of advisors are women, which make up more like 50.8% of the US population. You know, Ry, that's an interesting stat. And I think the Wall Street's got a long way to go to including other than white males, which has dominated this industry for years. We've taken a good step in that direction. 70% of our employees are women, and the majority of our advisors are now becoming CFPs. Yep, not a bad start, but a lot of work to do. Okay, Chris, business travel is lucrative, accounting for nearly 70% of all airline revenue, yet it's only 15% of all seats. Yeah, I totally believe that statistic. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a friend of mine and he told me that his company is saving $300,000 a month on travel as a result of COVID and being able to do everything on Zoom. And let's be real, Chris. I mean, Bob always flies first class on paying capital management when he does travel. So big expense that's been cut out so far this year. Yeah, that's why I'm keeping you guys at home to keep the other expenses down on the firm. So (laughs) only the best for dead. Less than 3% of U.S. domestic demand is ultimately satisfied by Chinese production. Surprisingly, most Americans' needs are met by American companies and workers, whether it's housing, healthcare, education, food, energy, or entertainment. Pretty interesting, Bob. We're not that dependent on China. Well, the fact of the matter is there's still a lot of goods that come out of China, Ryan. I saw that their exports just hit a record last month. So they're selling a lot of stuff to somebody. And I think we're going to see a lot of capital intensive investing on our part because before, you know, the big thing in corporate America was just in time inventory. Now I think that the trend going forward is going to be just in case inventory when we go to a cold war with China. Wow, Bob, looking for a very, very dire future there. Hey, right. I'm an optimist, not a pessimist. Okay, gentlemen, another great show. As always, stay loose, keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. 
You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Oh,